This is the Random Nintendo Podcast, episode 34, August 22nd, 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin. To my virtual left, we got Jason. Hello. I'm wearing a Badoo shirt. To my virtual... What? Well, don't I'm interrupt me when shirt. I'm doing the... <sighs> That's how I'm greeting people. Is I go up to people when I wear the shirt and say I'm wearing a Badoo shirt. Anyway, introduce, uh, introduce Angel. Well, there you go. You, introduce, <laughs> you introduced Angel to my virtual right. Oh, I thought that was going to be more to that. I am Angel. I'm oh. not wearing a Bidoof shirt. Okay, well, I thought you died for a second. How are you guys doing? I'm wearing a Bidoof shirt, so great. Damn, I don't know. I think I've been having like the best week ever. Like, I think especially after two days ago, I hit up... It used to be a VH1 show. Two days ago? No, there, VH1 would would have like this weekly show called Best Week Ever. Oh, yeah, I remember that. It was, it was a riff on Best Year Ever or um, whatever it was called, which was – or Best Decade Ever or whatever where they did the like I love the 90s, I love the 80s and the same show. They just whittled it down to smaller and smaller time frames. Yeah. Yeah, but tell us about your week. Yeah, so I mean the biggest takeaway, at least like in my mind, is that I hit probably the biggest – one. I guess I would say the second biggest milestone you could possibly hit in Hearthstone, which is – finally achieving legend class and if you don't know what that means it's essentially i guess reaching the highest rank possible you can reach outside of i guess your individual numerical rank because obviously you can always go for like the top player in the world but you know like most games especially you know most team shooters you go from like some kind of bronze equivalent to like a silver to a gold to a platinum to a diamond and then from there you go to Legend. And playing this game for almost six years, this is something that I never thought I would ever do because I typically don't like to play decks that are, I guess, meta, which, you know, like the games that you play, the decks that you play specifically to win the most possible because you typically don't find them very fun. Like I'll just typically just try to find the deck that I find the most fun to play, try to make that deck as most competitively viable as possible, and just see how far I can get with it. And usually I'll get far, but I would not really pass. Maybe get to platinum status, which is below diamond, but never get to diamond. And to kind of break down a little more just what that means, every rank has 10 ranks within them. So you have, you know, bronze 10 through 1, diamond 10 through 1, and all those subdivisions. And each of those in between... Like Bronze 10, Bronze 9, Bronze 8, each of those has three stars in them. So essentially you have to win three games in each one to progress. And the nice, the nice thing that this, the nice thing that Hearthstone does is that at the end of each month, these rankings reset. So it's a very fast turnaround from when you become legend to when you go back to like the lowest bottom of the barrel. But depending on how high you made it in the last season, you know, they call it a season a month, which, you know, it's not true. It's not what it is, but it is what it is. Um, they give you these stars that essentially speed run through, they speed you, they speed run you up until, yeah, they speed run you as fast as possible to where you last were essentially. So last season, I think I made it to like platinum four and they gave me like five bonus stars that essentially every time I won, I would go up five levels. So for every two games that I won, I would go up three, like three tiers. And if you win a couple games in a row, you 
those stars double, so you could like really skyrocket up into where you last were. And then you don't get your bonus stars anymore. But what makes this particularly tough is that when you get to Diamond, specifically Diamond 5, those last 15 games, there is no more win streak bonus. Because when you win at least three games in a row, you get double stars and... It's kind of like a safety net. Like, if you have the streak going, all right, cool. I could lose one game, and I technically don't have to... I don't lose time. Like, I still have that one security blanket game. But once you get to Diamond right. 5 and above, there is no more streak bonus. It's just you have to win 15 games, essentially consecutively. Because if you lose, you know, you're going back down a tier. And you can only make progress, you know, through winning. There's no safety net. And that takes forever because these decks at the top... Like, for lack of a better term, no one... It feels like no one's having fun. It's like the... like the, I'm just playing these <laughs> decks that like don't let you do anything. Because right now there are some decks that... They tried nerfing them, but it didn't really help. And to give you a basic example without, you know, explaining... Over-explaining a card game that no one... That, you know, if you don't know the rules to it, it's going to mean nothing. But essentially... Usually, most games are you do an action, your opponent responds to that action, then you respond to their action, and back and forth. There is a back and forth. The deck that you're playing against at the top, there is no back and forth. You could do whatever you want, and your opponent doesn't really have to acknowledge what you do. They just kind of do their own song and dance for two or three turns, and then by the fourth and fifth turn, all of a sudden, you're just sitting there while you watch your life points drain, and there's literally nothing you can do about it. So, how did I even get to Legend? Um, I played pretty much the two decks that I stick with is a Rogue deck, because I love that class, and the Shaman deck. And it just so happened that the Shaman Elemental deck, which is kind of a straightforward play your monsters, nothing too overpowered about it, just play your monsters, attack, be strategic, don't, you know, don't overextend, blah, blah, blah. Like, it just happened to be really good against those top decks. There was still a real pain sometimes, and sometimes I, I would lose without even getting to touch my opponent. But you have to grind, and sooner or later, I managed to just get lucky. And, I mean, that's just part of any card game. Like, I just drew really good hands back-to-back. I felt like I always had an answer, and before I knew it, I got to that surreal point where I was just one game away, one game away, and... I swear I was like, not shaking, but like, oh my god, like, this is it. This is finally going to happen. Because, I don't know if Jason remembers, but I always kind of joke, especially, well, I know my brother does, but I always kind of say like, oh man, when I get Legend, that's like my equivalent of making like the credits roll in Hearthstone. Because once yes, you, I can once, confirm this is a thing you have said. Yes, I'm here to vouch. Because once you get that Legend rank, you get a card back that you only get at Legend rank. So even though my rank will reset... I will forever have that card back and people will know like, oh man, this person made it a legend. And you know, like once you've reached the highest ranking, you kind of, there's not that pressure to like try to win as much as possible kind of goes away. It's just like, it's just nice. It's almost like I can play even. And you've made it. It's, yeah. It's like I could play weaker decks that are really fun, but you just don't play because you wouldn't get a chance to really enjoy them. Now I could play them without ever feeling like, eh, whatever. Or I could even just play unranked. Like, I don't really care that much about the rank mode anymore. But the funny thing is that I didn't see coming. My brother-in-law just happened to be playing online as well because we're both, like, really into Hearthstone. And he was spectating my game because I messaged him, like, I'm one game away. And then he's like, all right, cool. Like, I'm checking it out. 
and my opponent happened to be a rogue, and I'm like, damn, this is like the one class that the elementals like really struggle against. I play a card, they play a card, then I play another card, and then they're just sitting there idling, 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 and then you see the little emoji go, I concede, and then they just blow up. And I'm like, what? And then I was legend, and I was like, okay. I didn't expect to get it that way, but I mean, we take those. And yeah, it feels great. That was kind of like my big gaming achievement. So well, not sure how it's going to impact my Hearthstone playing. It's definitely going to make it, I'm definitely going to play a lot less, but I'm definitely still going to be playing it. But yeah, pretty hyped about oh, that's that. That's interesting. I wonder if if you'll get like a, a reboost if Blizzard ever decides to release it on the Switch. Uh, I'm still shocked it's not. Maybe. Like, what are you doing, Blizzard? I mean, actually, what are you doing, Blizzard? Is a question. A lot of, <laughs> yeah. a lot of answers. Yeah, yeah. These that, couple that, weeks. That is a good point. But uh, in this instance, like, what are you? What are you doing, Blizzard? Mm-hmm. It seems like a no-brainer. Like, it's such a no-brainer. I mean, Elder it's such a Nintendo-looking card, like, card game it's, too. It's like pretty simple to pick up and play. Monetization. Yeah, it's monetization is extremely it. friendly. Like. I'm telling you right now, like, I haven't paid... Usually, I'll pre-order expansions just because, you know, at the time, this was, like, a couple years ago, like, I really like to support the game because I literally dumped, like, probably thousands of hours into this. So, you know, just time... I priced it more, like, for time than, like, by card. Like, I don't really compare it to buying a physical card game because I feel like the value is put in different places, you know, individual cards, exactly. But you could craft cards here. If you just disenchant the ones you already have. But point is, um, I've been making so much in-game currency just because of their new, uh, I guess, the way experiences gain and the way they just give you coins. That usually it'll cost like 80 bucks to get like a pack of 100 cards. Which, you know, it's kind of a lot of money. It's definitely more than a typical game you buy on the shelf. But, I mean, if you're playing it a ton, I mean, and, and if that's also kind of the only game you're playing, which I know a lot of people do. You know, you're getting your money's worth. But that being said, playing just for free with just these two classes, just doing the quests every day, like I easily made, I easily had more than enough coins to get over a hundred cards for free every time a new expansion rolls around. And I think it, it obviously takes some time to get to that point just because, you know, you need to have built a good deck at some point, but they've been making it really easy. So, I mean, as far as free-to-play go, free-to-play game monetization goes, it's definitely one of my favorites. It's like Brawl Stars and I would say Pokemon Unite is kind of there. There's some stuff that bothers me, but yeah, I would say this one is like a good price to look at. Also, just the menus. Like, I really want Jason to just like look at the menu and the UI of this game just because unlike Pokemon Unite and other free-to-play games, like sometimes like the menus feel either like a little laggy they are they feel like they're, they're cluttered with like all these different menu options like oh you click over here to get your rewards from there you click over there you get your rewards from that thing like oh like things are just I all can, over the place i can very quickly get a high horse about how awful free to plays have made video game menu systems and unlocking things in video games because there is no reason that any game should have five different currencies that all do different things and all have four sub menus deep of options no reason. 
Like if supposed, if video games are supposed to get more accessible to a broader audience, this is the opposite. And I realize they're sort of training people as they go, so it is it becomes accessible. But like, it's insane when you boot up Mario Kart Tour, and it's like here's seven menus of different things. It's like, or you boot up any other Mario Kart, it's like two options, and you play. So like, it's it's yeah, I could I I hate the free to play menu world yeah. that we now live in. Yeah, so and much. Would you like speak so? Which is why I speak so highly about Hearthstone. Because if you look at the menu, it's so simplistic. Like, there's literally just one type of currency, just coins, which are the ones you get mm-hmm. for playing the game. Otherwise, you know, it's real money. There is something called dust, but, like, that isn't even, like, present anywhere in the main menu because dust is something you get from essentially discarding cards you don't want to use, and you use that dust to craft cards you don't have. But that's, like, in the library menu or whatever. So it's, like... Everything is just put away. Like, it was one of the main reasons that was kind of put off by Teppin, the Capcom card game, which is like as close to a, like, Nintendo card game that I could think of. Cause you know, there are, there's like a Phoenix Wright, there are Phoenix Wright cards, there's like Street Fighter cards, there's Monster Hunter cards. Like, why isn't this like my go-to game? Just cause, I don't know, like the, the like, menus, like, like, right? yeah, like the, the menus, there's like five the different, limits, there's the five energy. different, there's five different currencies that are, like, really annoying, like, to figure out, like, which one is for which. Like, getting packs is kind of, like, a weird... It feels like I have to figure out the shop menu versus, like, the main menu versus even how to get into the game. It's like... You, you know what yeah. I think it is? It just dawned on me as we're talking about it. You know what I think the issue is? When they switch to free-to-play and they do all these menus and they do all these currencies, it is no longer the game developer's vision of what makes the best gaming experience. It is the business side having more and more of a controlling stake in how the game is built. And I can't think of a single other format where, where like the business side interferes in such an overt way. Like obviously with movies and shows, there's notes from the studio and they shape it and they do stuff like the suicide, like, you know, we were talking last episode about suicide squad versus the suicide squad and how one was cut by the trailer house and one was cut by like the actual director and you know, that sort of thing. So obviously there's some of that, but it's never so in your face where it's literally in any other medium where it's like, Hey, if you want to do this thing, you need to give us money right now or you wait. Like it's, it's not like you're watching Netflix and halfway through an episode or like right now I'm in the middle of uh, White Lotus on HBO Max. It's not like halfway through episode three where I left off last night. They're like, okay, are you curious what happens next with this character? Wait two hours or pay us $5 right now. Like that doesn't happen. Like it's just such a weird game specific thing that just disrupts the flow and the vision and all that so much that's just so annoying more so than any other like even software doesn't do this like you may have to have a subscription but it's not like you're using photoshop and after two hours of photoshop they're like well you didn't pay for a subscription so if you'd like to continue using photoshop specifically the magic wand tool you can use some blue adobe gems but if you're looking to cut or paste try out the green um you know like photoshop element coin or something it's like what no like it, it's games are the only one that do it and it's so annoying and it also leans so heavily on psychology that's used for uh, gambling and for addiction and stuff like that. That's just it's just so like icky feeling compared to any other format. And I think that even more than the menu just being convoluted, but actually rubs me the wrong way about it. Yeah, that's so like, box number two. <laughs> no, yeah, and and even in games where like you know they supposedly play paid for everything up front, like Knockout City, like it still kind of feels that way. Like maybe not as bad as others, but like it the I guess the residue is there, or just like the. The blueprint yeah, is now there. it's like 
Cause now it's, it's like feel- standard. Yeah, that's but, what's weird. Is like even games that don't need it because so many people and like the younger generation guy, I feel like an old man yelling at the clouds but because so many people like understand that sort of design motif of how the menus work. Yeah, Knockout City does it with all in-game currencies, and it's just like, well, why don't you just like simplify it? Like, we don't need three layers. You don't need three layers. There's no reason for three layers, but you're doing it anyway just because like that's what people are conditioned to thinking. Like, yeah. I don't know if this is me getting old or what, but, like, it, it really has been kind of – like, I love Knockout City, and I highly recommend everyone check it out. But, like, it still kind of rubs me the wrong way in Knockout and Rocket League and all these games I do enjoy playing. Which it's partly why I've never gotten super into the mobile Nintendo games because it's just, like – it's just so many layers. Which is kind of why I'm surprised that at least specifically Hearthstone has been, I guess, kind of free from this, like, compared to other games. Like, I don't know. Like – I want to say it was always free to play. I know I had like a model change recently. What, Hearthstone? Yeah, but I'm not. Yeah, Hearthstone was always free to play. Yeah, so I don't know. Like maybe they just had the right designers or maybe the right people that pushed back on like how from they want to be about taking your money because, yeah. I think it like it, it probably helped that they were among the first out the gate with a real yeah. like, successful free to play model. Yeah, so there like, wasn't necessarily a reason the game for them to change it because they had a large user base and they had money flowing. and Yeah, because yeah, I can't think of another game that comes as close to being as unintrusively here, just come and have fun, than Hearthstone is. Like, as much as I enjoy Brawl Stars, like, that one, luckily, you rarely have to really go to the store to enjoy the game. Like, they just kind of keep throwing free stuff at you that it almost doesn't matter. But they do still have, you know, all that currency all those other things that are kind of annoying, but yeah. Um, yeah. Happy to hit that milestone. Monetization. Cool. Come on game industry. Figure that out. And yeah. So I guess that was my week. Kevin, what did you achieve in video games this week? Uh, <laughs> in this week, uh, yeah, I this finally week. leveled up. I, okay. So I was doing the math. I, I play a lot of Genshin Impact. You guys already know. I talk about it on this podcast. I talk about it on uh, Red Nintendo. Mm-hmm. I play a lot of Genshin Impact. So uh, we're we're about to get into some math right now, okay? For okay, so whenever a new patch is released, or not even a, a patch, but like a big patch, like a like when they expand like the story of the game, mm-hmm. a brand new banner will uh will show up banners are the sort of events where you will uh roll to get new characters and weapons right so for currently the banner that's on right now in the game it's called crap what's it called it's called uh tapestry of golden flames okay and when you roll oh okay you roll with these things called wishes okay um, but you could roll 10 wishes at a time. And when you roll 10 wishes at a time, um, though you have a higher chance of getting the five star character. Uh, I get your, the percentage that you get that five star character goes up from 0.6 of a percent to 1.6%. Right? Mm-hmm. You are guaranteed this five star character after 90 rolls. So that means that you would need, uh, each roll each wish is 160 gems or primo gems. I just call them gems. So that means every 10 rolls, that's 1600 gems. Uh, so to get to get it's 1600 times nine, you would need 
14,400 gems to get the guaranteed five star character, right? And the five star characters are, you know, they're supposed to be stronger than the four, than the four stars, obviously. Uh, they're supposed to be these rare characters that have cooler abilities and stuff like that. Now, to maximize that character's potential, you have to get seven of those characters. You have to get your initial one, and then if you roll that character again, instead of being like, oh, you just roll this character again, no, you are then able to sort of level up that character's abilities. So that means, what, what did I say? It was like 14,400? I think. Times seven. You would need... A hundred thousand and eight hundred gems to fully maximize a character. Okay, now if you do your dailies, you get sixty gems. So that means one hundred eighty divided by sixty. It would take you a thousand six hundred and eighty days. Oh my God! Uh, to do this, to get that five star character seven times. Now, these banners only appear for about 18 days. So, what do I do? Do I just pump money into this game? Or do I just say... And it took me all this time to realize, like, huh, that's a lot of money. Should I even bother? Because I have five-star characters that I really like, but do I, like... Do I go buck wild with the money to to get them to their full potential? See, it's, it's, this this is the perfect environment of the free-to-play thing that I was exactly. ranting about. Yeah. This, this is the opposite of Hearthstone. Yeah, But totally. I'm so into it. It's 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 like, remember in, like, Smash Bros, where, like, back in the day, like, Melee, it's like, oh, to unlock Mewtwo, you have to put in, like, either 750 hours or, like, 750 battles or something like that. And it's like, wow, that's a lot. This, by comparison, is insane. 750 hours sounds like like a piece of cake by comparison to what you're now describing. Like, and even you know, and that compared to over a thousand days. Yeah, like it's just like gaming sucks now. <laughs> like the free to play thing has ruined everything in a way. There's been upsides too. Like you can get more accessibility, start playing earlier, decide if you like something. You don't spend sixty bucks up front. Like there's all that. But like, yeah, maybe I'm just getting old. There was um. The other night, okay. some house party a block. Been. Yeah, okay, but there's a to give a sense of maybe I'm getting old. There was the other night a house party a block over from my apartment, and uh, I happened to be walking by because my car is parked over there. I'm like, what is going on? Like there was like a step and repeat, and like there's stage lighting in the backyard. I'm like, what is this? So I did some digging. It turns out there's like some rapper and singer and some other person that are doing an album like a single release party and I like looked up these people like who are they and they have like 3 million followers on TikTok like 2.5 million followers on TikTok the rapper a guy named like Champion 8 or something has like 15 million listens on one song alone on Spotify per month and I'm like how have I never heard of any of these people and why are they just in this random backyard and I'm like right Gen Z I'm old now I'm millennial so I don't know I'm having a midlife crisis this week because I guess what I'm saying between free play games and that party, I'm like, what is happening? I'm so disconnected now. So I hate TikTok. Uh, I document it well on my personal Twitter about how much I think TikTok is a useless platform that has um tricked millennials or like anybody who's super into TikTok into like thinking that like it's the greatest thing ever. I mean, it's just worse fine 
That's my well, opinion. The, the, the thing it does so well to trick people is that algorithm is so strong. I don't know what their secret sauce is, but they know exactly what you want to see when you want to see it. And God forbid you accidentally watch a video for too long and then your algorithm is just completely ruined. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It makes it's, YouTube look oh. like child's play in terms of its algorithm. Ex- yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, at least at least it takes, like, 10 K-pop, like, music videos for then... <laughs> yeah. For then... Uh, for YouTube to then be like, all right, this guy wants K-pop. You look at one thing for all its three minutes, and that's it. That's all you're going to get. But I will say, I finally found an account on TikTok that I, like, I'm like, huh, I could actually watch this. And it's, uh, I think they're called Farriers, or I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but it's the people that, like, clean the hooves off of horses what and they just they're, have videos, videos of them doing awesome. that yeah it's just huh. like tiktok videos that's, that's all that's all and they're like uh they're like two minutes two minutes long and i'm just like entranced by these videos of of these people just uh <laughs> just clean the hooves off of horses it's great i, I will say like but the way now, we're but now like oh yeah go well, ahead let me go say ahead. but now that's all I get. Now that's all I get. I'm like, I like this, but I, this isn't just all that I want now. Jesus Christ. You can't win with this platform. I, I will say the way we're acting about TikTok is probably very similar to what generation before us thought about like Vine and Twitter and Facebook. Cause like, you know, there's always talk about like, oh, TikTok makes all these famous people now, like Aston Ray being a big example or like, you know, the, um, what's her name? D'Angelo or whatever, the, the dancer girl who now has her own Hulu show. Like, there's always people coming out of it. And I was thinking, like, I mean, I mean, Vine was the same deal. Like, Sean Mendez spun out of Vine. Justin Bieber spun out of YouTube. Like, it's not any different. It's just we're now disconnected from it. And now there's like a more powerful algorithm. So it just feels different. But like, like that rapper guy, like, I was reading up on him a little because I'm like, why is he like a block from my house in a random backyard? And it's interesting because he only writes ver- like basically mic drop style single verses, and then the ones that go viral and catch on, he then sort of workshops a song around it based on the popularity, and then throws that full song on Spotify, and then gets the residuals off that. So like, there's this whole like economy that's come out of, like the marriage of like streaming music and TikTok, and even just TikTok dictating like what songs be on the chart. You know, like Roddy Rich, like he blew up because of TikTok. And his, like, and even the lyrics of his song, just the opening beat was, like, all over TikTok. And then he, like, went on to perform at the Grammys and I was, like, a huge rapper. And, yeah, it's just kind of interesting how it's really no different than what we went through. It's just the way that things have kind of shifted. This is the equivalent, but just feels so foreign because we're so removed from it. I don't know. <sighs> just, I hate TikTok with a passion. I can't win with that platform. There's definitely concerns oh. about, like, where that data is going. Oh, that okay. that yeah. I that I do not care about where my data is going. My my data, I have been on the internet for long enough that everybody knows where I live. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, I'm super easy. I, I just do not care anymore. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, I should, but like I said, we've been on the internet long enough to that all these companies know where we live. They all know our interests, all that mm-hmm. stuff. So mm-hmm. at this point, it's just a lost lost fight, lost cause. Pretty much, yeah. What about you, Jason? What was your week like? Uh, I, uh, I mentioned I'm wearing a Badoof shirt, right? I think that's my biggest gaming achievement is I'm wearing a Badoof shirt. Like, I haven't done much. Uh, I mean, I played the WarriorWare demo. That was fun. I'll have impressions of that in a week on Ram Nintendo. But yeah, no, I haven't done any single great gaming achievement this week except put this shirt on today. So <laughs> there we go. That's all I've got, really. There we go. Yeah. Damn, better slow uh, down there, man. Case. 
I know. So I need. I'm going buck wild over here. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that case, uh, let's get on with the show. Thirty minutes in. <laughs> Thirty minutes in. We we all we like to wing it on this podcast. I'm, I'm pretty sure Angel just shoehorned in a Hearthstone like category of discussion. Just never told us he was going to say it. But that was like that was like a full segment. That's pretty good. I mean, I that's why I was going to get in that death. I was just wanted, I was going to say like, hey, I made it to legend, but then I'm like, well, maybe people don't really know how big of a deal that is because it does. Yeah, I think context always helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's continue yeah. the angel train rolling. Angel, tell us about what you've been doing aside from her so legending. Yeah. So besides that, um, yeah, this week, uh, my brother got a hold of through me because I just happened to be at Best Buy and they were there. Um, the newest slew of, I guess, DC direct-to-movie movies. Direct-to-video movies? Direct-to-home home release movies? Whatever. Direct-to-not-a-theater. <laughs> yeah. You know, that phrase is basically dead because everything's on Netflix and HBO and Amazon day one. Basically, it's mean- I mean... Yeah, yeah it's yeah, kind of it- meaningless now. Weird. Another weird thing that's changed with generations. Yeah, essentially, you know, like we... We're collectors here. He wanted to get them, and um, I picked them up for him. And they all come with the code as well, so you know we also, we also have them available digitally if we choose to be lazy and not put the disc in. But yeah, so I picked up Batman: The Longest Halloween Part One, Part Two, and Justice Society WW Two. And the main reason I wanted to bring these up is because WW Two, World War Two, World War Two. Yeah. I, just didn't know. Wait, I, I don't think I've ever I've ever heard World War Two even like when it's in my mind that if I see WW two when I see WW two in my mind that automatically is World War Two. World War Two, yeah. yeah. I would say WW two in my head. Wait, so Angel, when you see the Roman numeral one, when it's WWII, do you think in your head WWII and basically sound like a monkey ball character, or do you actually think World War Two? I don't know if I've ever seen it with the Roman numerals, but I would probably still say what. That's how it's stylized most of the time. Maybe. I don't know off the top of my head. I'm trying to think of how Call of Duty put. WWE yeah, that's something I look up to. <laughs> like when they called it that. Yeah, Call of Duty too. also put it. They, yeah, they put WW2 on the uh, on the cover. Where am I thinking WWII? <laughs> yeah, World War II style WWII. If you oh, go the WWE, Wikipedia okay. page for World War II is World War II. I mean, for in general, for the game, the the the, the concept of the war, the Second World War. We're not. We're talking about how was that less than something that I would have seen. You took history classes, I would hope. I mean, half the time... You've been I... along, around long enough to have seen references to these great... Not the great, greatest war, that was the first I one, mean, but two, literally, World War II. The first thing I think of when I think history class is me playing Pokemon Diamond inside my backpack during history class. And that's why our society has become what it has become, because of Pitnong King. <laughs> Japan has won. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Justice Society WW2... Um, so the reason I really wanted to bring these up is because I don't know how many of you have seen these non-theater DC movies in the past. I know you, Jason might have seen one or two when he was hanging I've out with I've watched a few with you. Yeah, I've seen a few with you. And there has been a notable lack of quality control in like the last couple. Like Some shots look great or fine, but there's either like Usually, you know, for these kinds of movies, you want the quality to be somewhere between theatrical and television, which, you know, is kind of getting smaller and smaller as time goes on, at least for, like, the animated side. Just, you know, technology gets easier to create better quality animation, and sometimes it's not just, like, the frame cast, sometimes it's just, like, the quality of the lines or the 
even the CG, like some CG shows are just starting to look a lot better and better. Although even live some, action to that point, like the CG in live action shows is getting better. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Like, you know, for shows like The Flash and stuff, like, yeah, there's some enemies that would have looked really silly. Like, you know, probably I, I didn't watch any of the older DC shows like Smallville and Arrow. But Arrow's still I on. I don't it? know if. Well, no, I think Arrow finished already. Oh, right, right, right. Like well, last year. I guess probably more specifically small, but like I don't know how often CG was used there, but definitely when I'm thinking of like CG and old shows, maybe like Goosebumps or something. Like, yeah, like <laughs> things don't really age well. Yeah, that but, was like yeah. 98 though. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And we've come a long way from Transformers Beast Wars, but what's it called? But yeah, like the quality was kind of dipping a little and it was getting kind of like Almost the point was kind of concerning, but then, and you can definitely tell like this is I don't know if they got like a new, like art director or someone, but these last these three movies in particular and the one we saw just before this I think it was called like Superman Man of Tomorrow, like even noticeable by their spine which all have a new, I guess a new deco. I mean you could tell at the top they're going for the whole collect all the blu-rays and put them next to each other to spell out dc comics or dc something but that would uh boil my blood yeah it kind of sucks because now like we already have like just like the last part of c the f- and the first part of it but then we're definitely missing some part between the d and the c and my brother's trying to figure out like god damn it like which movie was that but yeah that would i would lose my mind yeah but at the very least, these two or these three, like there has been, um, besides the art direction, like they're definitely using more CG. And I didn't, and the best thing is that you don't even really notice, like for the most part, a lot of the characters for the, like right off the bat have really thick outlines and everything just looks crisp and clean the entire time. Like there never really isn't any, at any point where something feels cheap, even like the scenes where people are just talking to each other, like everything just feels better. I don't know, like, the cinematography, the... I mean, even just, like, the quality of, like, just basic movements, but then the action scenes, like, they're... The action scenes that appear in these, like, has also been noticeably, like, you definitely go, like, whoa, like, I wasn't expecting it to look, like, this good. Like, I mean, DC movies usually have good fight scenes, but, I don't know, something about a simple fight of, like, Catwoman versus Poison Ivy ended up looking like some like a climax even though it was like literally the beginning of the movie and that was pretty impressive and it held throughout longest halloween one two and justice society like if anything like the stories they were they were good like i enjoyed them i enjoyed all three of them well i'll just say two of them to make it easy um longest halloween and justice society but i think the production values definitely helped elevate it and that's really cool but Definitely the coolest part was, like I mentioned, the fact that all the character models at least were pretty sure. And in some instances, it's kind of obvious, but they're all like CG. And they're just extremely, extremely, like, cel-shaded and look incredibly flat. Like, they finally figured out how to make, you know, 2D, 2D characters out of 3D models. And I'm sure that is why the overall quality of the animation has improved a lot because, you know, you don't have to redraw the same character over and over again. You can just move this character and just animate it, like, every third or fourth frame. Essentially, 
moving it the same rate you would if you were drawing it, except you don't have to, you're just changing the pose. Which is essentially what Spider-Verse did. So it's kind of like that, except because, you know, the models don't look three-dimensional. You don't get that weird... Well, I like the effect, but you don't get that weird stop motion look that Spider-Verse kind of had at times. Or most of the time. Actually, all the time. Depending on the character. Because that was something else they did. But, yeah. So, I mean, if you're liking these DC movies and felt that their quality was dipping a little, definitely check out these newer ones. I mean, as far as story goes, um, Longest Halloween is, you know, a Two-Face origin story. And I feel like I've seen another... Oh, there we have The Dark Knight, which is another Two-Face origin story. But... Excellent movie. That that is all. It's alright. No, no. It's one of my favorites. How dare you? I still don't think it's a good Batman movie. I think it's a great movie, but... You could replace Batman with, like, I don't know, Tom Cruise from you the really, Jack Reacher movies. I mean, you can't. Like, is Jack Reacher going to go in and be like, where is she? Like, he doesn't talk like that. He absolutely <laughs> can't. What are you talking about? It's not a Batman that necessarily has to ask, well, where is she? But in that voice? Yeah, I, I know, I know. Yeah. It's more of like, uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But yeah, like, this movie follows kind of like a younger Batman. Now you could tell he's. You have to, I guess, the combat down, but he's still kind of figuring out the whole detective side of it. And in a way, Catwoman kind of steals the show from him. She is essentially way more competent and kind of saves his butt a few times. It almost feels like Catwoman is kind of the main character sometimes. And Batman is just kind of there. Not that that necessarily really hurts the movie, but it was just kind of like, a, huh, Batman, I guess, just has a long way to go. And they definitely didn't shy away from including a ton of villains. And they don't really, you know, try to explain their origins or anything. They do kind of just expect you to either know who they are. But even if you don't know who they are, it doesn't really change much. You just have to know, oh, these are bad guys. They explain what they need to. Like, oh, why is Batman hallucinating because of Scarecrow or because of the fear toxin? It just makes you, you know, see spooky stuff. And, um... You know, and it pretty much centers around like a it's a murder mystery, which I'm always a fan of. You're always trying to figure out who is the real killer, they present to you they present you with a bunch of potential suspects. And up until the end, you're always kinda of left guessing who they're gonna be. And Just Society World War Two was just a really fun Flash movie. Essentially Flash runs so fast that he ends up in World War Two. And shenanigans ensue. Sort of. I won't try. That, that's I, a good. That's a good byline for any World War Two movie. Shenanigans <laughs> ensue. <laughs> so yeah, because I mean it's World War Two, but with superheroes in a world where their involvement is meant to be secret, and you know they're just kind of working behind the scenes. But there's also a Flash in this timeline as well. The Joe Garrett, the original Flash, who has definitely been getting a lot of has been in the spotlight a lot recently. I feel. But, I mean, to my knowledge, it sounds like Flash is more of a driving force of the overarching plots of the DC universe than even Batman and Superman are. Just because, you know, he essentially has the ability to reset the universe when he wants to. And sometimes he did it accidentally. 
And I think that is actually what the basis of the next live action Flash movie yeah, it is. is. I think they're going to do Flashpoint, mm-hmm. which is, in a nutshell, you know, Flash versus Professor Zoom. He's the anti-Flash. He's just yellow and red instead of red and yellow. And yeah, he goes back in time and kind of messes with it. You know, whole butterfly effect. It's a whole alternate universe. But I don't know if I'm going to... I mean, it's kind of like Suicide Squad. Like, I watched it just more for the actors and for the fact of the DC Universe movie. Because, I mean, I'm definitely more of a fan of the animated ones. Can't really tell you exactly put my finger on it. Maybe it's just because I'm just a bigger fan of animation in general. Like... Oh, well, I mean, I guess right off the bat, you know, suspense, like the suspension of disbelief, like when you're watching something animated, at least in my opinion, like I am almost immediately already, I guess that belief, is I am 100% immersed into the world because there's no kind of, nothing can break, can break me away from the fact that like, oh, this is a movie then, you know, the fact that it's already animated. So like. I just see these characters as they are. But when I'm watching, you know, even Suicide Squad or I don't know, any of the other or any of the slew of like Marvel movies, it's really hard for me sometimes to remind myself that it's supposed to be Ant-Man, not Paul Rudd, or that it's supposed to be Bloodsport, not Idris Elba. Like, I find myself so many times just seeing like, oh, this is just a guy acting, pretending to be this guy. Instead of it being Bloodsport. Like, if, I don't know, I have to hit, like, a little reset button, like, every 30 minutes when I watch almost any live-action movie, if I recognize the actors. For a movie like Shang-Chi, just based on the trailer, like, I don't know who any of these people are. And so even the trailer itself is like, oh, I could probably get more into it. But generally... This, but I don't know. As I say, this explains a lot about you, because you always, when you're talking about actors, reference their other roles... So you always are looking at an actor based on their acting history, not what they are in the moment. So it actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because, you know, like remember that episode of this very non-Nintendo or I guess it's Quarantine Chronicles at the time where you're trying to describe an actor and we went through like 12 different roles they had and you got half of them wrong. But like you couldn't just like name the actor and be like, oh, they were this and this thing. You're like, oh, I I know this person because I know them as this and this other thing and then this other thing and this other thing. And there's like this whole like daisy chain in your head of how you associate people versus just the character in the movie. Yeah, because when it comes to animated films, like, even, like, you know, Tom Hanks and, like, Tom Hanks, yeah, does kind of sound like Woody. Like, that is kind of his speaking voice. He does a little bit more to it. But I didn't really know who Tom Hanks was when the first Toy Story came out. Like, when I saw that character, it's like, that is Woody. He is, quote-unquote, like, a living, breathing character. Like, there was no association to any actor and that's kind of how i feel about almost every animated movie i ever watch good or bad like these characters are those characters but so the voices don't change anything for you uh sometimes it only does when we get to theatrical like certain theatrical like adaptation adaptations like when it's an original story or something like that like i don't know like even like a lot of the characters and say like spider-verse some of them are well known um, like, you know, part Peter B. Parker was the dude from Jake Girl Next Door. New New girl. girl. Girl but, Next Door. <laughs> but I didn't know who that was. So, you know, like he was just Peter B. Parker to me. But, you know, I could think of. I'm trying to think of an example where. All right. Nick Cage. The, Nick Cage. Who was he <laughs> in? Who was he in an animated film? He was he, uh, he Spider-Man. Spider- or in, in, yeah. Uh, 
See, like, yeah, there are certain exceptions where, like, that one, I did kind of think of him as, like, Nick Cage is doing a part, but he has such a, like, smart part in that movie that it didn't really bother me. I just saw it more as, like, a cameo than the thing, okay. but, yeah, like, some, like, there are a few exceptions. Like, I'm pretty sure it's going to be hard for me not to think of, well, I don't know, maybe, but it's definitely easier for me to think of, like, you know, Knuckles is going to be Idris Elba. I wonder how much of Idris Elba I'm going to keep thinking like, oh, this is Idris Elba or how or it's going to be Knuckles. I feel most of the time, even if I know who the actor is or they're really well known, I can still get immersed much easier. Oh yeah, I can. it's definitely much easier for me to get immersed in an animated film versus a live action one. But yeah, if it's just them playing themselves, like, yeah, sometimes it's kind of hard. Like Sonic, I think... That one was kind of tough just because, you know, Roger Craig Smith to me, like, that was what Sonic sounded like. And then when we got, I forgot his name, uh, Ben Schwartz. Dude, ben Schwartz. Uh, Did you call him Badoof? No, I said the dude. <laughs> I said Badoof. I was like, the what? Dude, the dude from Parks and Rec. <laughs> um, yes, among many other things, but yes. Yeah, like, at first it was definitely weird, just like readjusting. That's kind of like, a, definitely, uh, I guess one of the unfortunate side effects of animated properties, especially when it's like a long running series, like where you have like just, you know, characters get new voice actors and sometimes they don't sound like the original and sometimes it just like comes, we comes off as weird and, you know, you just have to deal with it obviously, but sometimes they just aren't as good as the first one, but sometimes it could work a ton in their favor or they implement it to the story. Like one of my favorite examples is, in the 2012 Nickelodeon Ninja Turtle series, um, American Pie dude, I don't know if I remember his name, um, he played the main dude from American J- Pie. I think it was the son. Jason Biggs? Maybe. But if, he's, if he has curly short hair, I think that's the him. guy that The, 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 the guy that the son does of the, dude the thing from with the pie in American Shits- Pie, right? That's who you're talking about? Yeah, the Shit's Creek son from... Oh, American no, you mean Eugene Levy. You mean the dad from American Pie. He's no, 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 no. Eugene guy. Levy's son in Okay, American Jason pie. Biggs. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so... Uh, I so, swear, I am not looking at IMDb. This is all off the top of my head. So this Jason Biggs was the voice of Leonardo for the first couple seasons. But at some point, he left the Turtles. I don't know why. I don't know if it was good or bad reasons, but he left it. And he was replaced with... Oh, man, I'm forgetting his name, too. But oh, Seth Green. Seth I Green, yeah, yeah, with Robot Chicken. Yeah. Um, and Seth Green didn't exactly sound like Jason Biggs, but, you know, it was kind of close. It, he had kind of, like, he was doing his, like, his young Jason Green kind of gruffy voice. Seth and Green, it worked sure. for Leo, but I love that, Um, I guess, I don't know, I guess they timed it. But essentially, when the change happened, or as the change was happening... Um, I guess it was included at the end, but Leonardo was essentially ambushed by Shredder and a bunch of enemies. This was like one of the season finales. It was like a really big pivotal moment. Leonardo was almost killed. He actually got like, I guess at the end, I guess what happened, I guess Leonardo, I think actually got like slashed in the throat at the end. And then he was kind of silent for like an episode or two. And then when the woods and then when his voice finally healed, you know, it was now Seth Green's voice. And then the other characters were like, well, you sound a little different. And then I go, yeah, whatever. Or, you know, just like him trying to recover and just still being a little huh. traumatized. But, you know, stuff like that. It's like, you know, it keeps the immersion. It's like, wow, it works. Like, it doesn't drop a beat. It's not as jarring when, I don't know, main character like Gumball goes through like three different voices because it's supposed to be a little kid. But, you know, kids can't sound like themselves for 
more than a couple years, if they're like, you know, around their 10th or 11th or 12th, and if a show goes long enough, you know, you have to go through a couple because of puberty. Unless, you know, you also age up the character, but that's not going to happen for a lot of these perpetually youngins. But, yeah. So that's my thoughts on those DC universes and I, I guess I think the animation only, in general. To your point, I think the only time that bothers me when an actor switches is in a live action where they full on, and they don't do this as much anymore because it becomes too obvious, but they full on swap out the actor. So it's the same character in like a sitcom or whatever, but the person is physically different. That's the only time this sort of thing bothers me. Like voices I can take. Like but the like Freshman that, Bel-Air? Yeah, that's probably the most egregious example. They, but there's been others. Yeah, but I mean sometimes they kind of have to and, you know, they have to work with them. Oh, that's yeah, the yeah. most egregious one for me. <laughs> but I know, well, like, well, didn't they have, like, it's the, most, it's the one that comes to mind. It and they, kicked, <laughs> they threw him out of the house with like, oh, Mrs. Banks, you look different. And then they just throw him out or something. Yeah. But, to, to your point about Tom Hanks and Woody, have I ever told the story on the podcast of my Tom Hanks Woody voice experience? It's not that exciting of a story. It's just really cool in the moment. Oh, then we might as well skip it then. It's not that exciting. Wow. Okay. Next topic. <laughs> Never press it. It's not that exciting. Well, I don't want to get people's hopes up. That's something cool. But basically, I was at a restaurant in Beverly Hills, and it was uh, it was a birthday dinner for me, but it was also Mother's Day weekend, and Tom Hanks and his family were there um, for Mother's Day, presumably. Uh, which means, yes, his son Chet, the the dumb one that's always saying stupid things on uh, Instagram, he was also there. But anyway, uh, Tom Hanks was chasing his grandson around the restaurant while they were either waiting to be seated or something, and he was doing it in the Woody voice. So I, in real time, was hearing him switch between Tom Hanks and Woody and Woody and Tom Hanks. And it was actually kind of cool. Like you're right. It is a small difference, but it's there. And it's kind of just cool to like see Woody – in the flesh in a way like yeah, running like, around but yeah like you hear yeah. it without looking at him and i'm sure you could imagine like woody being there it's yeah it's kind of magic pretty much this is why yeah, i, I love animation cool. so much yeah but, but yeah i mean like when if I we're doing saw... random celebrity stories um seth green once took a selfie with me and sent it to his friend and i don't know why to this day is that comic-con is that Get signing him. and he's like let's take a selfie and he literally texts it it's like i'm saying it to my friend i'm like why <laughs> why me okay so that two selfies you took with maybe didn't we also like take one for or ice cream or something yeah but we took it on our phones he took the selfie on his phone and sent it to his friend at the signing which is strange i think he was like trying to tell his friend i can't talk right now and his friend's like oh yeah sure and he's like no really look and he like took a picture of me he's like see i'm not signing and but, the friend's like oh he's hanging out with jason damn he's right he, he can't talk exactly because jason will <laughs> be talking so non-stop he won't get a chance to talk But yeah, so I'm yeah. somewhere in Seth, right. uh, Seth Green's camera roll is my point. To this day, probably. Maybe. 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 <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, next on the docket. So I just learned that docket isn't a real word, but you've you've absolutely heard that, right? I've yeah. Docket, yeah, I think it's like a colloquial right? thing. Yeah. It might be but I don't, a but European yeah, thing because I think I've heard it more with people with an accent. Docket? Like docket? Let's say what's next on the docket. Oh, no, no. Like, they still say docket, but... Yeah. Wait, it's not a real word? I mean, it has to exist. No, it's not a real word. So, I mean... Jason? uh, Come on. On Apple's dictionary, Apple's dictionary, docket is not a word. Well, I mean, Apple... Like, D-O-C-K-E-T? Wait, hold on. Maybe it's because I was... I mean, I've always... Yeah, no, it's a... It's a word. On a list of legal cases to be heard by the court, the judge has to put some of the cases on the docket, is an example. I've been misspelling docket. 
I'm not going to tell you guys how I've been spelling it because now I'm incredibly embarrassed. I'm going to assume it was D-O-C... No, I'm going to assume it was D-O-C-C or something. No, I'm not going to... Please tell me it was not dog cat, like D A W. No, I will say I got the D O C K right. It's everything after that's well, not necessarily that's everything wrong. Well, let's just say I added a couple of extra letters. Anyways, next on the docket, shut up, Ted Lasso. Jason talked to us about it. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So I I don't think I'm the only one that's watched it, right, Angel? You've seen it too, haven't you? Yeah, I thought it um, good while ago. Out, yeah. Um, so yeah, was like not, not long after. You know, it was just getting a lot of buzz, and I'm like, all right, I like the dude from The Office, and then I realized Jason, it wasn't him. Nope, that's not him. <laughs> yeah, that's Jason Ed Sudeikis. Helms. You're thinking Ed Helms of Ed, uh, Ed Helms. Helms, but it's Jason Sudeikis, who yeah. you may know if not from SNL, then from uh, We the Millers were the Millers or whatever. I knew from Horrible Bosses movie was. And Horrible Bosses 1 and 2, yes. Um, but that's confusing because isn't Ed Helms also in one of the Horrible Bosses? I I thought he had a side role in the second one or something. Maybe I mixed up. Anyway, Ted That was Lasso. Chris Pine. Well, I definitely didn't mix up Ed Helms and Chris Pine, but you're right. Chris Pine is in it. Um, they're very different people. Um, anyway, Ted Lasso. Yeah, so I was a little late to the party. Um, but I am curious to hear what you think too, Angel. But I – as the buzz for season two is ramping up and as the Emmy nominations are coming out and it was like getting them across the board, I was like, all right, maybe I should take the plunge on this thing. Because you know, originally I knew the premise was it's an American coach that goes to coach a uh, football team in Europe, in England. Um, he's a football coach in America, but a football coach over there. So, you know, soccer. Um, and – he doesn't know what he's doing, and he's a super optimistic guy, and that's and it's from the guy that created Scrubs. That's all I knew. There are enough check boxes there, like Bill Lawrence of Scrubs and Jason Sudeikis and Zach Braff actually directed an episode. So it's like oh, that's kind of cool. So there's like enough little pieces there. I'm like one day I'll watch it, but it wasn't until the Emmys really where I'm like, okay, maybe maybe I should watch this. Ended up watching the entire first season in one night, so like five straight hours, and yeah, I was really ple- pleasantly surprised about it. I um. You know, I knew it'd be good, but I think what was interesting is I didn't realize how, like, not just a sitcom it was. Like, obviously, as jokes and Sudeikis' character, you know, Ted Lasso is like this guy is perpetually optimistic and he has all these weird analogies he always makes and and things. And but like, I would say in terms of like a comedy, it's not like how many last per minute of like a TV sitcom. It's more of like a dramedy almost. And like, what really hooked me, I think, was at the end of the first episode. He's on this call with his wife and they do it really well where they don't actually – you don't hear the call. You just hear his end of it and it's just him you know, kind of like one-word answers, two-word answers and you realize, oh, this perpetually optimistic guy who always has the best outlook on life. His personal life is actually kind of struggling and he's going through some stuff and it was just kind of interesting to see this show that set him up as like, hey, look at this weird American who's so chipper having like kind of this actual issue. It's like, OK, let's see where this goes and it ends up being like a really good show where it's him kind of balancing – being the best man he can be with, you know, and this sort of optimism he has with um, the reality of what his life currently is in a given moment, and the fact that you know he is a guy that's never coached a soccer team, and the town hates him, and he slowly kind of wins him over over the season, and, and things like that. And it was just, it was just kind of a pleasant surprise because I really thought it was just going to be kind of like Scrubs, where yeah, there's an overarching plot, but it's really just you know last per minute per episode, kind of isolated that sort of thing. But no, it's like. The reason I was able to binge it all in one go is it kind of is like a split up movie. It it is very cohesive and from episode to episode. 
Um, it's very well shot as well, kind of like a movie. And yeah, I was just I was just very pleasantly surprised. Also, biscuits. Um, biscuits are a thing in the show. Uh, for some reason, he makes the best biscuits. No, I, you know, it's kind of a running joke. And then, sure enough, um, here in L.A., just this past weekend. Actually, if you're listening to this the day it goes live on the 22nd and you're in L.A., you have time to swerve your car to one of four locations for a coffee shop called Go Get Em Tiger. Because through the end of the 22nd, they are giving out the biscuits from the show for free with any purchase. Um, they got the recipe from the set. It's all like exact, you know, it's the actual recipe and they are very good. They're British biscuits, so they're crunchy. They're kind of cracker, like cookies, but they're very good. Oh, that's disappointing. So, yeah, they're not like soft biscuits. I've had a lot of biscuits this week somehow, actually. It's like almost every other day I had a biscuit from a different place. And yeah, these are definitely the most British of the biscuit, but they are extremely good and buttery. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, Angel, how did you feel about the show when, like, do you, what was your kind of takeaway when you watched it? Was it kind of similar that, you know, it's actually yeah. there's a little more to it? No, yeah, I mean, even though, like, I started a long time ago, but I didn't actually finish it until, like, yesterday. So, like, I finished, like, the, maybe, like, the last, yeah, like, the last episode. It was kind of, like, spread out. And Were you on all of it or season one only? No, no just, just season one. I Okay, yeah, I'm waiting for I, season two I, to come I, I out. Was, yeah, I think I'm going to wait for it to be finished. Um, only impression just from my sister season two is that, like, she's not enjoying it as much because, like, Actually, it's kind of funny that you mentioned um, it feels like a movie because that's definitely very true. It just feels like you're just taking a break in between each episode. And I also love that they're 30 minutes each. I swear, like, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, I'm actually going to give the show a try. If it was 45 minutes each episode, I probably would have taken me a lot longer to watch it. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I, I think I, maybe you could blame maybe just animated shows being 11 minutes to 24 minutes and just like me kind of being happy with that at length but yeah i really appreciated the the short birth which you know makes it easier to binge in my opinion um, oh, totally totally but yeah but my sister her early impression so far has just been it's like oh everything feels kind of a little segmented and it kind of feels like we're going into fillers and i'm like oh huh it's kind of interesting i think i i do wonder like if they originally planned to have more of this season because i mean the show is based on if i'm not mistaken a character from a series of sports center ads like ted lasso is this kind of one note silly character that espn did with sudeikis like either sports center or during commenting of like college football or something and then they turned it into a show which right away you're like i mean you know geico tried turning their cavemen into a show on abc and that tanked hard but i do wonder if you know when they made the show like all right let's just tell one story and we'll get where we can. And then it took off so much that they're like, oh, I guess we're telling another story. You know, it's very much – I wonder if it's very much like Stranger Things where originally it was supposed to be an anthology series. But season one did so well that now here we are with season four next year, same cast of characters still. So I, yeah. that, I do have – I am curious when season two is done being released and I watch it once if it's going to be cohesive in the end or if it really is going to feel like, oh, they were scrapping together a new plot. I also did appreciate the – Oh, I did like the fact that it was more of a dramedy than just like a regular sitcom. I don't know who mm-hmm. I heard it from like a long time ago, but I think people were saying like it was like from the same wheelhouse as you know, like Parks and Rec and those kind of things. And I don't know if I was ready to necessarily like, jump into a show like that, but you know, it's it takes its time. It's not slow though. It feels like a lot happens in each episode. It's like you're, it feels yeah. like you're making a lot of progress, and the. Uh, and the cast is also pretty great. Like, you have a lot of very jarring personalities. Like, you know, like the 
Terry, no, something Tart, the the soccer player. Oh, um, Jeremy Tart. Yeah, yeah Jeremy kind of Tart. Pompous, like you know, he thinks he's the coolest because he's the best player, and he like literally reminds me ego. of Jason, which is funny. And uh, then, uh, what? <laughs> and then you have Roy, who's kind of like on the opposite end. He's like you know very aggressive, but like he, I guess like aggressively. I don't know. I guess feels true to his moral and like trying to get people to do the right thing, even if like, he he, he was the it guy. He just kind of grew out of it in the sense of he was the it guy, you know, when he was younger. Now mm-hmm. he's kind of like the old standby, like the the good, you know. He ha- he passed his prime, but he kind of like has the insight that comes with it. Yeah. And then um and even like Ted Lasso's like really close friend coach. Um, I also really like his character. He kind of reminds me of like he gives me like Ron Swanson vibes, but he's not like a this is my way kind of dude. He's like, he's like that guy that I feel like you think is going to be like a tough, intimidating person. But he's like, if you get to know him, like, Oh, he's a very chill, like sweet dude that I don't know, kind of wacky in his own way, but he definitely, you know, he can look very stern and serious when he needs to be. And yeah, I remember like in the first episode thinking like, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to like necessarily like a lot of these characters, like the, Keely or the the head woman, um, right? Keely being for those at home, uh, the girlfriend. At least when you start series, the girlfriend of Jeremy Tart, and she's kind of this model and social media influencer. And she they they make her out to initially like she's gonna be kind of this vapid, you know, like she definitely model, feels like the most like yeah, like her, she has the most growth probably. Yeah, but like her initially, like she felt like oh, she felt like she was kind of ripped out of straight out of a sitcom. But yeah, but, yeah, but then like. The personalities end up kind of working for the show. Like, I was kind of worried at first, like, when some of these personalities came out that it was going to be like, oh, like, this, the tone of the show feels a little more serious than some of these characters. But then it just kind of worked. Like, even, like, Nathan, I thought, was a great character. Even Ted Lasso himself, like, his over his overly positive attitude was never grating. Like, I mean, I, I like really positive characters. Like, I kind of think of him as, like, for those of you that watch anime, like, a human Tanjiro. Like the main character from Demon Slayer, like no matter what you tell him, he just looks at like the nice side of things. Even if people are literally calling him like all these slurs and obscenities and whatever, but yeah. And I think that's that's kind of the show's strength is like there's always you know like I like in some level you could argue SpongeBob is sort of similar inside SpongeBob. Like you know his whole world is like weird and bizarre and people like. You know, or kind of can be jerks to him and take advantage of him, but he's still like very positive. Yeah, like Ted Lasso is kind of like SpongeBob in like a more like traditional setting and a little more grounded. But the, yeah, it, and it just works. It works surprisingly well. Um, you do start to notice that they lean on uh, a lot of like kind of tropey things with Ted. Like in the you know later on in the series, he starts to read, oh he's gonna make an analogy here. Oh here comes a weird analogy again. Like it, it becomes a little like he has some like go to moves, but it, it just works. Yeah. The, the whole show, I feel like it, it's fitting that Apple ended up with it because it feels like such like an Apple pro- – like obviously, you know, they just bid it on this show and got it. But like it it feels so Apple because you have this guy whose entire outlook on life is just trying to make everyone around him's life better, which is Apple's kind of like corporate motto sort of. You know, like they want to improve everyone's lives and this guy's trying to do that. Like even – you know, even if he's getting – even if he himself is in a poor, bad situation, he's more he seems more interested in helping those around him lift themselves lift each other up than lift himself up. You know, 
So there's that, which is kind of felt like, oh, he's like, it's like if Apple had a human, it would made a human, it would be Ted Lasso. And then even just the way it's shot, like we were talking about, you know, it looks like a movie, but like this thing is such, even though they're just on a soccer pitch, this thing is such a showcase for like, like the shots are in like 4K and HDR and they all look really crisp and vibrant and nice. And you're just walking around the office or like out on the field or something with the, you know, characters. But like it has that kind of, Apple-y, like, oh, we're going to make this look so fancy and use the fanciest technology to do it, even though it's just kind of a basic setting. And just, like, that pairing of, like, the perpetual, like, try and make, like, better with the... So it just felt very, like, if Apple could make a TV show using the, the like, ethos of their progs, this feels like what it would be, which is kind of fine that they ended up with it. Because I think this was already in development before they took it, so it was... It just kind of lined up versus them, like, shaping it, you know what I mean? But it's kind of, it is kind of funny that it worked out that way. Who's the creative team behind this? Uh, so the guy from Scrubs, Bill Lawrence, is the creator. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And Zach Braff actually directed uh, the second episode. And is now Emmy nominated for that. Um, there's actually a really cool shot, and this is what I mean, uh, and I think probably Angel getting at too about how it's sort of uh, like a movie. Is there's this great shot that you wouldn't see in a normal multicam sitcom or anything? Where I think it's the second episode, maybe the for one of the ones I think Zach Braff directed. And anyway, um. The head, without spoiling anything uh, too much, the owner of the team is in the tabloids for some reasons, and she um, goes in with Ted for their first press conference with the press, and the press store pivot to start asking her about the tabloid story. And they do this thing where, like, they have all the questions coming at her, and they're kind of, like, fading out the sound, and they're shooting it from the back of her head. So you just see the flash bulbs of the cameras going off, and then they sort of show, like, a bit of her, like, lip quiver, kind of from, like, a two-thirds angle maybe with the flashes going off and then she just takes a second closes her eyes breathes and then just carries on like it's no big deal but just like that sequence of shots is not something you'd see in a sitcom on tv like that's like a movie and it's kind of cool that you know a show like Lasso, which is 30 minute episodes a dramedy but still like kind of pitched as a you know standard comedy um does like that sort of stuff and there's other examples of that throughout the show where it's just kind of like oh wow they actually like put some like thought into how they're shooting this and it's not it's going a little beyond just a standard sitcom which is cool so yeah but yeah it's, it's bill lawrence I, and company yeah i uh i don't think i'll ever honestly watch this maybe because i need some uh not not conflict in my life but i have heard that this show is almost a little too wholesome it can be which again is kind of weirdly fitting for apple because they too try and be too wholesome sometimes <clears throat> but yeah it, it definitely yeah, exactly it, so. it definitely is like a very like uplifting positive like literally they have a sign in the locker room that says believe and that feels like the model of the show is just like if you believe in yourself like you guys can do it like it's okay like we can get through this which again is such like perfect pairing with apple because their whole thing is like you can do anything You're like our products can help you achieve your own goals and it's just like okay like it, it you know you don't hear like Android phones being like, hey, if you just believe in yourself and have this cool phone, like things will happen. But like that's Apple, so it's fitting they have the show. But it's funny um, how, oh, yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was say, it is funny how like you know when you watch like a Sony movie, it's almost like more blaring or like like oh, they obviously have a Sony phone. Like I don't know, like like phones that stand out more when it's like you know from another company, but like you know because oh, so many people just have Apple phones. Like it, like I. I forget that, like, oh, this is an Apple show. That's why he's using a MacBook or whatever. But, like, I don't give it a second thought when compared to, Oh, I like, totally did. When comparing to, like, I don't know, when I was watching even, like, Spider-Verse and, like, the headphones were Sony headphones. Like, it just felt like product placement. But 
I don't know. I guess it's because I just mean like, you know, iPhones are so common ground. They just didn't. I, I think what stood out to me wasn't that people were using it. Cause yeah, that's the other side of this being an Apple production is there's Apple stuff everywhere. And it's not just like the ethos of Apple in the show. It's like Apple is in the show. Um, and yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of phones. I think you're right that because iPhones are kind of ubiquitous. Um, relatively speaking and so many shows use them as like a cultural thing like hey we have like our characters using iphones like blue bubbles all the way you know but um yeah no i did notice that they would do some shots and this is probably where apple intervened a little like they do shots where characters like carrying their phone but they'd be carrying it in just the right way where like they show off like how many cameras it has on the back and what color they have and no one's using cases and you know stuff like except ted lasso i think he has like a sturdy case because he has to be out on the field but for the most part all the execs like are walking around well, like they're normal. Jason's. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, caseless life is the best life. Um, but yeah, I, I did definitely notice the phones. And what I actually noticed is so I did watch the first episode of season two before um deciding to wait for all of them. And sure enough, every single character upgraded their phone to the latest iPhone. <laughs> like you notice in season one, like, oh, one of the characters has like an iPhone like um ten R, which is, you know, now outdated. Uh or something like that. But in this one it's like, oh, they're all rocking elevens and twelves. Of course they are. Oh, there's three cameras on the back of that one. Oh, he has a 12 Pro. Ah, okay. Like, it's very, yeah, they don't try and hide it, but it's not too in your face in part, I think, because like you said, it's pretty ubiquitous for Apple product placement to exist in shows. Did you, uh, did you guys ever read that story, uh, where Ryan Johnson revealed that you could technically tell who the, uh, who the killer? Oh, yeah. Yep, knives out was right from the beginning. If you paid close enough attention, because of the they not. weren't using an iPhone, right? Yeah, because villain because yep. Apple will not let their villains or will not let villains of the movies have iPhones. So I think uh, spoiler alert for Knives Out. Skip about twenty seconds ahead, but Chris Evans is the only one in that movie that doesn't use an iPhone. Yeah, it's uh, Apple's very. So he's I mean, the it, villain. It, Wait, so it why kinda, not mix it honest. up and have some good guys use an iPhone then? Or was it like Apple was like, no, you have to make it very clear that they're the villain because they're not using an iPhone. I'm I don't think something. I think it's more the cultural thing. Like iPhones, I'm going to be honest, and I'm sorry to Android users out there that are listening. iPhones have a cultural presence that Android doesn't. It, it's the same as iPods. Like when, you know, if you watch a show from 2004 or six. Like everyone has the white earbuds. Everyone has that that white cord going through their like through their shirt collar down to their pocket or whatever. Like it's ubiquitous. It's just a thing. It's a trendy thing. It's the same way MacBooks are the computer of choice unless Microsoft's paying them to use the surface or whatever. It's just there is this cultural cachet that comes with having iPhones. And I think it I don't want to say it says something about the character if they don't have one, because it doesn't, but there is definitely like shows prefer Apple. At least currently, because it's the company. It's the same as like, right, you know, if you look at like shows that have different gaming systems in them, you know, for a while when the Wii was big, there were Wiis everywhere. Like you'd see the Wii remote reference like in someone's living room just on the table. And then like after the Wii was dead, it was a lot of PlayStation controllers. And now you're starting to see like Switch. Like I like I mentioned, I was watching uh, White Lotus. One of the main characters has a Switch and it's very prominent throughout like three episodes in a row. And I know that like Mayor of Easttown, which is another HBO show, also has a Switch very prominently shown. And you see it like Brooklyn Nine-Nine makes multiple jokes about the Switch. In fact, the premiere was last week. They made three Nintendo jokes in two episodes, in the same hour of episodes. Like it's, you know, they kind of just follow what the cultural trends are. So if the iPhone's the it phone, the movies will do it as much as they can. If the Switch is the it console, you see it pop up in shows as much as possible, like that sort of thing. So, yeah, so um, 
that's probably why they decide, you know what, we need this family to have iPhones because like that's what families have. Unless they can't legally because they can't be villains or whatever. That's my guess anyway. Yeah. Well, that's uh, Ted Lasso. Yeah. And Apple. Moving on to something incredibly not wholesome. Uh, the final rebuild of Evangelion. This is where weebs come in. And if you're not a weeb, you can get out. The final rebuild <laughs> of Evangelion movie is finally out on... Well, here in America, it's, uh, what, I forget what they call it in English. I think it's called, oh, excuse me, I had to mute myself for a second there. I've been coughing a lot today. Uh, the final episode is called, final episode, the final movie is called Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, Thrice Upon a Time. Is it? Angel. Did Square Enix write that title? Yeah, that's why that's why I put it in the notes. Neon Genesis three five eight over two birth by sleep days. What you originally had was even more confusing because originally you wrote Sega Genesis. Oh no, that, like, that, that, that's what? what I was wrote like Sega, Sega Genesis Emancipation, but I spelled Emancipation wrong. Just because uh, you know Neon wait, Genesis. Was suppo- wait, was that supposed to be? Oh, yeah, because Neon Genesis okay, Evangelion. That made more yeah. sense now. Yeah, I was yeah. super. Yeah, I was super confused. <laughs> I was like, wait, Sega has an anime? But okay, anyway, continue. <laughs> Jason, as somebody who doesn't watch anime, do you know anime. what Neon Genesis Evangelion is? I don't hate anime. I just don't consume it. Uh, I know of it. I couldn't tell you anything about it except I know the name. And I feel like a lot of the outfits in it are like white and black, slightly future tech looking, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Mm, you're not. F- yeah, you are you get the right idea. It, it's <sighs> How would you explain it, Angel? Because because I feel like if we call it a mech show, it does a disservice to the to the show. Yeah, kind of like how you can technically call Attack on Titan a mech show, but anyway, uh, how would I, I would call it a mech show? I I guess maybe, but like, um, because it basically oh, is if you know what mech shows kind of play out. I guess they're, they're just natural fle- mechs. They're fleshy it's mechs. Not- it serves the same purpose. Oh, okay. Wait, what are you? Wait. To a degree, yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah, they even yeah uh, they have they have fleshy a, mechs. I think we have our episode title, boys. Fleshy mechs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. How would you? It's pretty much about I guess humans fighting the angel threat with their own weapons, and the father wants to recruit his thirteen-year-old son to pilot one of these weapons to fight the al- the the alien, the angel menace. But you know, he's a thirteen-year-old kid. That's not going to be the the most wholesome experience for a young lad. And that's kind of where the conflict kind of starts with, you know, revealing and more, you know, with, you know, layers coming undone. There's a whole, I guess, like, theme about relationships and how they can be both liberating and, I guess, damaging to a person and why, like, some people are just, like, afraid of forming new ones. But ultimately... You know, you want to live your best life. Might have gone a little further in, but in a nutshell, yeah. Um, Humans versus angels. Yeah, it it absolutely starts. It absolutely starts as a mech show, and then halfway through production, the creator suffered, like, a mental breakdown. And then the latter half of the original run, Neon Genesis Evangelion, became sort of like a character study with some mechs thrown in there. Hmm. And so... In the mid-2000s, he decided to essentially, I guess, 
we'll just use the word rebuild since that's what that new series is called rebuild the series as sort of like a reimagining remake of the original series the first movie i believe came out in 2008 or 2007 one of those years and it was almost uh like a direct adaptation of the first i believe like six episodes but then with the second movie it it like very very it, it diverges from that original story like crazy i was like in the middle of seeing the the second movie because all these movies are on amazon now in japanese and dubbed and in a bunch of uh bunch of different other languages too but the original series you cannot legally see it in a lot of places until netflix picked up the rights i believe it was like two years ago yeah it's pretty recent when it was back on netflix i think it was 2018 yeah. yeah and uh what netflix did is they couldn't acquire the rights of the original dubbing that happened back in the early 2000s so they just redubbed with uh a uh, a translator that worked with the the actual company back in the day. So the original dubbing studio, they just did their own translation. Not oh they Netflix used a direct script from from uh, I believe the company is called Gainax, which Gainax is the company behind um, crap. What's that other mech show that they're known for? The show that uh, I love so much. The one about Crap, the fear to the heaven. Uh, the Gurren Yeah, Gurren Logan. Gurren Logan. Love Gurren Logan. Yeah, so Gainax gave Netflix like a direct translation or their their translation of the show for Netflix to redub. And so they used different voice actors and stuff like that. And they also redubbed the two movies that were released after the show. All right, Jason, you're you're gonna get a breakdown of Neon Genesis Evangelion okay. right now. Okay, right? I, I am ready. All right, so like I said, the show originally starts off as a mech show, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like a very serious mech show, not like well, I guess Gundam, which I never talked about, but Gundam, the original Gundam is also a very serious mech show. You think it's just about like giant robots fighting? No, it's about war. And similarly in Evangelion, it's about like these these angels which are i guess are like aliens or like religious aliens that are coming down it's as if like they took the descriptions of angels in the bible and like made them almost like almost one-to-one comparisons because you know they're not like your Mm -hmm. typical winged humans they're like i don't know like elf world creepy giant monsters with sometimes multiple eyes or one eye or tentacles or sometimes just simplistic shapes like Wait, is that diamond. is that how angels are described in the Bible as multi-eyed, weird uh, creatures? They're, they're just described as like these big, you know, things that are like beyond comprehension, essentially. So it's very up to interpretation. So essentially, okay, not. So, so they went to Pan's Labyrinth, Guillermo del Toro wrote with uh, route with these. It sounds like essentially, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the angels also use names of angels from the Bible, which I believe they oh, use okay. a. Judeo Christian, yeah, like the Gabriel Bible. And I forgot which other ones there are. Adam, Lilith, uh, you know, just, just names like that. Yeah, and so that's how the the show started. But like I said, the the creator suffered a mental breakdown uh, halfway through production because he was also dealing with like a lot of depression. Um, so the second half becomes like this almost character study 
And then the last two episodes, episodes, I think it's 23 or 24 or 25 or and 26 are like, there's, there's no, there's no mech fighting. There's no like real conclusion. It's all about the inner turmoil that these characters like have gone through. And so it was very controversial. Well, I get Angel, you obviously you've seen the original series, correct? Yeah, that's not I've seen just the original twenty something episodes and the two movies. Okay, so what what did you think of those last two episodes? Because I our friend of ours, Kevin Montenegro, he finally decided to watch Evangelion. And I remember when he finally got to those last two episodes, he asked me, What the hell was that? It was definitely different, but I still got like a sense of satisfaction from it. Like, if it ended, like, literally right there just like that, um, I think I would have still been happy. Because, like, ultimately, even if, like, Shinji doesn't, you know, we don't know if his life did it turn out well or not, but he did Shinji finally... Shinji being the main character. He did finally get, like, uh... He did achieve, like, that final, like, bit of mental growth where he finally learns to accept himself and try to move forward with it, which is kind of like the... Like you were saying, like, is what the whole character study was about at the end. It became much more about the drama between him and his dad and him and just, like, forming a relationship with other people in general. And I felt like that had, that had, like, you know, it had a conclusion. And kind of like, I guess, Asuka and, um, I forgot the other character's name, Blue Girl. Ray. Yeah, Ray. Oh, that's right. Of course it's Ray. And her creepy smile from that one episode. Um, yeah, like, I kind of wish that we knew, I guess, had more development with them. But as far as like Shinji goes, it's like, all right, I I was kind of satisfied with his arc, because there was an arc. It wasn't you know, bombastic in the action side. How like the first couple episodes were, because it does kind of feel like, whoa. I mean, if we're getting some crazy scenes like this halfway through, I wonder how it's gonna end. But then it ends nothing like that. I can see a lot. Of, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see why people were really upset with it. But I already. You know, by the time I, I saw it in 2018, so I already knew, I knew about the whole, like, oh, they're running out of budget. Some scenes at the end looked like they were literally drawn with Sharpie and like highlighter crayons and stuff like that. And, but it almost, it doesn't end up coming off as cheap. It almost comes out like an extremely experimental, like art house, like abstract yeah. movie. And it was just so different that it, it was still, like, I still found it interesting. But, you know, now we have the rebuild, which, you know, may be what people were more looking for. But Well, not necessarily the know. rebuild, but but specifically oh, the, the two movies. Oh, yeah, the movie, yeah. Isn't that supposed to, like, directly yeah. answer that? It's like, the first movie is literally, like, a recap of the series, which I would not recommend watching it if you had not seen the series. Like, don't treat it as a substitute, because it jumps all over the place. It was definitely nice as a recap. It's like, okay, I remember this now, because it was definitely a while when I finished the show and I watched Death Squared or whatever it's called. Yeah, and... Neon Genesis Evangelion Death Squared. Oh. Or no, it's called True Death Squared. Oh, there you go. These names. Can't, for, can't These forget names. the true. Yeah, and after yeah. watching it, like I felt like, alright, I think I remember just about all the main beats and everything that it showed. Anyway, and then I watched the movie and, and it was like, oh man, this was kind of like the the animated climax of Comet that I was expecting. Like, Jesus. Like some of the scenes in that movie. And you know the whole like and which one are you talking um, about? end of Evangelion. Yeah, yeah, the end of Evangelion. Um, okay, so yeah, so yeah, and that fan, end of Evangelion the, the is, was scene. essentially 
The what? The Fantasine. Orange Fanta? Fantasine. Fan- Orange Fanta? Wait, like Wana Fanta? Like, oh, don't you yeah, want yeah, Orange yeah, Fanta yeah. everywhere? Fanta. Which is, yeah. Yeah, now I remember. Yeah, so Ends of Evangelion was essentially made to... It's weird because I feel like they have said that episodes 25 and 26 of the original release are canon. But I think they've also said that End of Evangelion isn't... Not that it's necessarily canon, but it's complementary. But that it isn't not canon. Did I just confuse you guys? Yeah. Because I think I confused myself. <laughs> I, I stunned myself in confusion there. It isn't that's not canon, but it's not canon. But that tw- episodes twenty five and twenty six are canon. Wait, so they they like just they carved out a couple episodes that these are no longer can- canon, but everything around it is. No, 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 no. The original two episodes are canon. Okay. But this this other set of well, this movie, which are essentially supposed to be oh uh, I, episodes twenty five and twenty six. I see what you're saying. They're not saying that those aren't canon. Thought I saw what you're saying, but I think you and I now no longer see what you said. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, anyways, and when's the, when did you see End of Evangelion, Angel? Uh, maybe last month. Okay, yeah. So I finally got around to seeing it because I remember our our friend Matthew. He he was the one that introduced me to Evangelion. All how long ago was it? We were in de- we were probably in. High school, I was probably like in ninth grade when I originally saw the show. Um, and that was before End of Evangelion ever came out here in the States. So then I, f- this was the first time that I actually saw it. I saw the first rebuild movie before I saw End of Evangelion. Like that's how, that was the, the disparity between the releases, the time disparity between releases that I saw the movie. And, well, now I guess I gotta ask you: Do you prefer End of Evangelion over over twenty five and twenty six? Because they're radically different. Where End of Evangelion is like exactly what you said. Where like that's I'm sure what everybody was expecting back in the day, with like a lot of action, at, like actual animation. I feel like I can't really prefer like, one over the other because, like I said, like the the conclusion, or I guess like the wrap up with I guess Shinji's psyche. That we got in 25 and 26. I feel like I didn't get that in End of Evangelion. That was more of like a let's tie up the loose ends because I, yeah, like a lot of things were left, left up in the air. But you don't it, think so? In 25 and 26? No, in End of Evangelion. Oh, no, 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 no. That's why, like, in, 25, in End of Evangelion, like, they pretty much like wrap up everything or, like, for the most part. Like, the char- like the other characters, like, you see what happens to them because, you know, things just kind of abruptly. Just end in a what seems like a a high school stage, like a battle in in like a, oh yeah 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 uh, it was like a uh, a recital yeah so you know like so in twenty five twenty six you kind of leave like a ton of like characters hanging just like all these loose threads that we just never really get resolved because it just becomes about Shiji's mental dilemma but. I don't know, I feel like we didn't get that as much. At least, like, to the depth that we got in 25 and 26, because that's literally all it was. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I can't really, I feel they're both important, but, I mean, yeah, I guess that's a, 
a Shinji arc. I think I prefer 25-26, but I mean, I guess as it's like just continuing where the story left off, I almost kind of feel like in my head, like, oh, they just kind of took place simultaneously. Because, I mean, this is all something that Shinji's going through. It could, it's like a mental, I guess, therapy. So it could have happened at any point between in any of these episodes. Could have just been him in his room just reflecting on life or something. I don't know. It doesn't really now, what like would you recommend to Angel? To Angel? You mean to me? To Angel? To, to Jason? Angel, what would you tell yourself? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what would the Because that would be what you tell, tell me. Man, I, I, I guess if I was recommending someone to watch the show, I guess I probably would tell them to just watch the movie because and I feel like some people might want a more overall, I guess, ending that isn't... I guess just kind of nitpicking what exactly it wants to end. I mean, it it just continues where everything left off. So yeah, I guess I would just say watch the end of Evangelion. Have you have you watched Rebuild? Any of the rebuilds? No, I do plan to though. Now that they're all on Netflix, but yeah, watch them subbed. Okay, yeah. So no, they're on uh, on Amazon. Yeah, let's say subbed. Oh, subbed. Oh, did you watch uh, Evangelion on Netflix subbed? Yeah, I watched it with subtitles. I haven't okay. seen so any of it. I'm one of those guys that uh, so I'm one of those guys that watches anime dubbed. Um I don't know if you've ever seen any anime dubbed. Or I I'm assuming you saw Naruto and stuff like that dubbed. Pokemon. Uh, uh, Dragon Ball Z. When we started, but once I was watching it on my own, I definitely watched it subbed. I watch it dubbed because mm. that's just how it's available. I think the only exception is like Desert Punk. Where I watched both the I watched both subbed and dubbed, pretty short anime, and I definitely preferred the dub, as with probably Cowboy Bebop and Trigun, but those are kind of more universally like yeah the dubs are better, or you know just because the dub just doesn't suck because it's like they just do such a good job that I kind of believe the emotion of the characters are going yeah, through the delivery. Yeah, so I'm sure there's like a bunch Full of Full Alchemist is one of them. Oh, yeah. Did you ever see Full Metal Alchemist dubbed? I don't think so, but I have heard, I've seen clips of it dubbed, and I'm like, oh, it doesn't sound bad, but um, the sub was the sword I chose to fall on. Fall on? Yeah, so I I watched uh, the Netflix release dubbed, and they, like I said, they had to do a whole redubbing, so they used brand new actors from what I remembered back in 2008. And of course, yeah, you obviously look at the credits, yeah, it's a completely different cast. So I was like, all right, whatever, I'll get used to it. And then I watched uh, Evangelion 1.0, the the first rebuild movies, and they use the OG cast. And it just, now I have these two different voices in my head, and now I can't tell if I would have preferred the the new cast in these movies or if, like, you know, the OGs are the way to go. And I can't watch them in Japanese either because I feel like I would have to rewatch all of uh, the original series in Japanese to really... Uh, I, I feel like I, I've got to do it all dubbed or all subbed. I'm already halfway done with, the, uh, with all dubbed. So now I'm stuck in this place where... Like, I just don't understand why they just <laughs> didn't use... Well, I guess I understand because... When rebuilds happened, the rebuilds up happened, they still hadn't redubbed anything with Netflix. But yeah, now I'm stuck in this weird place with these movies. And I don't know. 
I don't know what it's to funny do. funny that, like, there aren't many properties where you could run into this problem, but you haven't know, getting kind of notorious for, like, which dub you have and that kind of stuff. Like, I know, like, recently, a Ultimate Collector's Edition, like, for, I think for yeah, this is, like, the first time ever, the show, the first 26 episodes, and oh, those first two movies. Oh, that's right. It released, huh? Like, they were just um, released for pre-order on Blu-ray for the first time ever, and it sold out on the first day. Kind of crazy. Damn it! And... Ah, and actually, I knew that was going to happen this week. I just forgot. It it was on Thursday. Yeah, they had a whole countdown and everything. I totally forgot. And actually, managed to get a pre-order. Pretty happy with that. Oh, but don't fret because on the the thirty. I mean, but that's just the the ultimate edition. Like they're gonna release the details for the standard edition on the thirtieth of August. So there's still gonna be a you know a box of stores that just has the Blu-rays. It's not like the random doodads. You know, like the the art book and the angel paperweight and you know stuff that ultimate editions usually come with but like that one i know comes with like it comes with four voice tracks which is interesting it has like the new netflix japanese and english dubbing and it also has the classic japanese and english dubbing so it has both what oh god damn it that's what i would have done i oh that's annoying I totally forgot. And the one point that I, is also very divisive about this collection in particular that has some, I guess, the international people most angry is that it, it, this is a blurb on it that just says international releases of Evangelion will not have Fly Me to the Moon. So I guess only the US version of this bundle is going to have it. Which, like, you know, it's the, wait, the, the song? There's an end credits theme called Fly Me to the Moon that plays at the end of each episode. Of the original version, but the Netflix version, I guess, did, couldn't have didn't have the rights to play that song. But so not, it plays not like the Frank Sinatra song, like a, a different song. It, I'm pretty sure it's a different one. Okay, but instead, you just get like ominous, creepy piano playing at the end of each episode. But like the original version is like kind of like a slow samba elevator music of like some woman singing "Fly Me to the Moon" and some other lyrics. But, you know, it's like a, something that's heavily associated with Evangelion. And for the ultimate edition to not have it in the international versions, you know, obviously upset some people. But, yeah, read the bundle. Mm, God damn it. I wonder what the after, what the uh, stock X price for this Ooh, is going to be. I know. Almost kinda... I might be just insane to get it. I'm reading here that that's the pre-order price. Which is yeah, if it a had, lot of money. If it hadn't sold see. out, because I think it was two seventy eight with tax. Yeah. Um, but if the pre order hadn't sold out, I think they were saying like, because it's going to be released on December 9th, and they were saying like, oh, if we don't sell our five thousand copies, you know, by this date, during that pre order period, um, then it would go back to its normal price of like three hundred and twenty something bucks. Without tax, yeah. which is like, goddamn. So, kind of glad that got the pre-order. I just happened to see the tweet right when it went out, and I, I'm like, oh. I don't yeah. understand how they thought that this wouldn't sell out. They only made 5,000 copies. Yeah, it's kind of short-sighted. Like, clearly. Did they, honestly, did they honestly think that it wasn't? Even, yeah. Even if people... Demand for this. Even if some people are like have some qualms with it, like it's obviously going to sell out. It's Evangelion, and, like, there's just no way it's not. And, you know, 
a good chunk of them, at least a quarter of them, are just going to be scalped. Like, they're just... Yeah. yeah. There's no way no one's going to not buy this and think, like, oh, I could resell it. So, yeah. And you're doing this when 4.0... I'm just going to call it 4. I'm not going to call it thrice upon a time. When 4.0 is releasing. Like, there's this fervor for Evangelion right now that hasn't been seen since the last movie came out back in, like, 2013, whenever... 3.0 came out. Uh, it's been seven movie. years? G- wow. So G-Kids. Yeah, I believe so. This movie, yeah, this movie took forever to come out. Uh, because uh, Ano, who is the creator of the show, is just like a perfectionist. I'll be very curious to see what exactly they changed because, yeah, uh, 2.0 is, is right from the beginning, they introduced a brand new character. Um, she's the one that, I don't know, have you seen... Uh, uh, any fan art or any official art, but it's the girl with the pink suit with uh, glasses. No, yeah, I've I've definitely seen her around. Like when we went to Japan and we went to the Evangelion store, this is before oh, I yeah. seen the show. Like you know, I just saw like those four characters. Like oh, it's Rei, Asuka, Shinji, and Pink Girl. And then I saw the show, yeah, and I'm not like, oh, I don't remember this character. And then we saw some more merch, and I asked my brother about it. Like oh yeah, she's from Rebuild. I'm like oh okay, she's kind of. It's yeah. an extra character, but... Well, yeah. I'll probably have impressions of the entire series... Well, the entire rebuild series next week. I'm just going to have to live with myself and just watch the dub with the OG voices. Because I, I do remember those voices very fondly. But considering that it's been over 10 years since I saw it with those voices, it's definitely a bit of a... bit of a shock, I guess, is the best word that I can use to describe it. But, uh... Yeah. Aside from that, I don't think we got anything else that we want to talk about, do we? I don't think so. Um, Jason, how's your how your cats doing? They're okay. Thanks for asking. Everyone's healing up after some various surgeries and infections and medicine and whatnot. But yeah, everyone's good. I do have a parting a parting um, anecdote to share as we wrap up the episode. This comes from Twitter. Um, I'm not vouching for this user, but it's someone named Pink Ranger LB. And uh, they claim they went to law school and learned the following. I'm just going to read it to you. And that could be maybe our last thing we, we touch on before we wrap up. So almost any craft going into international waters is going to have guns on board. Even lifeboats uh, have one in the emergency kit. Trust me, this is going somewhere. The commanding officer of a vessel, if necessary, to prevent harm to the group can legally kill a person, a kind of group self-defense. On cruise ship lifeboats, the assigned commanding officers are usually onboard performers from the cruise. They know how to work a crowd, speak in public, etc. They'd only ever take this role in an extreme emergency, obviously, but is planned for. Disney cruises are no exception, and I looked this up. The performers are the assigned commanding officers on the, on the uh, lifeboats. In an emergency, on lifeboats, if you're acting in a way that threatens the group, Elsa from Frozen may be legally justified in killing you. So just chew on that. Disney princesses are legally allowed to kill you. That's the last thing I have for this episode. Chew on that. <laughs> well, I guess with that, we'll, uh, we'll end the show. Uh, housekeeping. I don't have my notes in front of me. Jason, can you do the housekeeping? You I sure know. can. I love this almost more than telling you that Disney princesses can kill. So you can find us on all the different apps. If you use the podcast app, we're there. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Podcast Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, um, YouTube, our channel is RandomNintendo.com. We are on Twitter at RandomNintendo, which you will want to follow to make sure you don't miss any random Nintendos. or 
random Nintendos. For example, next week we're back on Sunday with an episode that I'll be covering the Pokemon Presents, WarioWare Get Together's demo, maybe Great Ace Attorney, who knows what else. So uh, follow us to find out. Individually, we're on Twitter. I'm JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O, underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. Normally, Kevin, this is when you then throw to me the final word, but I feel like I kind of already did it with the Disney things. I'm going to throw it to you. What's your final word? Oh, crap. I was not expecting this. God damn. No, I don't have a final word. Good night, everybody. Or good morning. Uh, whatever. You heard that episode. Thank <laughs> you.